looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Alexander. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 75 of Live from Detroit, The Jeff Dwoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back. Can you believe it? 75 episodes. Thanks for hanging in there with me for each and every one means the world to me. Such a milestone and I'm so excited to share it with you. And I'm also so excited to share with you my guest for this episode, Christine Blackburn. That's right. Comedian, producer, author, podcaster for over 11 years, host of the amazing podcast Story Worthy, over 700 amazing episodes. Christine is here to talk about that, her book, her live show, Story Smash, the storytelling game show. Plus, we share tons of amazing stories together, and we have an extremely spirited debate on Disney World. I was pro. She was con. Listen to the episode and let me know afterwards where you fall in your love or dislike for Disney World. So that's exciting and that's coming up in just a few minutes. I do want to thank everyone who tunes in week after week and subscribes to the podcast on their favorite podcast app, whether that be Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, we're everywhere. Anywhere you love your podcast, you can subscribe to Live from Detroit, the Jeff Tawaskin show. You can hit share. You can tweet your love for it. You can share the link with your friends. Tell all your friends. If you're at your high school reunion, it's a great conversation starter. Hey, have you listened to Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin show? You should. It's the best podcast ever. Blah, 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 blah. You'll be the hit of the entire reunion. People will talk about you for years. Go get them, kiddo. Also, don't forget to check out my live show every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Crossing the Streams. Look for a reboot of that show coming up soon, but it's still going to always be Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Exciting. We now broadcast over the Fireside app. That's Mark Cuban's app. So check that out. If you log in at 9.30 Eastern Time on Wednesdays, you can listen live. And you can come on stage and you can talk about the shows that we're talking about. We've talked about lots of great shows. Recently, we talked about Squid Game, Clickbait, tons of great shows. So a lot of stuff that's hot right now and a lot of stuff that's in the archives that you can go in and stream that you may not know about. It's a really great show. It answers the question, hey, what should I be listening to? Which everyone asks. And we made a show just for you. You're welcome. I hope you had a chance to catch last week's episode with Eric Peterson, star of Kevin Kneff himself. Kevin himself was here. Eric Peterson shared tons of great stories. I also want to send you to that episode if you haven't heard it yet. Listen to the cool celebrity voices, the animation voices that my friend Casey Ryan Plot did for me for the special call-in from Shrek and all his fairy tale friends. He's great and wanted to thank him again for that. If you're listening to this, the first few days of its release, I will be at the Motor City Comic Con on October 16th. I will be moderating two panels, one with Patrick Renna from The Sandlot and David Yost, the Blue Power Ranger. So get your Comic-Con on. Check me out there. If you're in the Metro Detroit area, hope to see you there. And now it's time for the social media tip. All right. This is the part of the show where I share a little bit of my social media knowledge with you. A little 411 I picked up on the street. You know I love Twitter. There's a new feature coming out from Twitter. It's called a Twitter pre-tweet warning, and they're going to start rolling this out. Basically, it's meant to support healthy conversation. So it'll give you a heads up pop up if it thinks you're about to be nasty, you know, in a reply to a tweet or something. It's like, hey, you may want to rethink the anger behind what we think this post is about to be. And I think they even mentioned in the article playing uh, Janet Jackson, the song Nasty. Nasty boy, don't mean a thing. But at that part, I might have made up. But the reality is they are doing this to try and curb healthier conversations. So if you see that, I just wanted to kind of let you know. It's always good 
to not send angry tweets. As good as it feels to write it, it never feels as good once you send it. Write it and then delete it. Move on with your life. You'll know you're doing okay if you never see a pop-up from Twitter. And that's the social media tip. I do want to take a second to thank everyone who supports the sponsors week after week. It means the world to me. When you support our sponsors, you're supporting us here live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. Our team of 500 people putting together episodes week after week truly thanks you for all your support. This week's sponsor, Broadway.com, celebrating the reopening of Broadway. They're offering 50% off tickets for listeners to live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin show, specifically for the world premiere of Hamilton 2, More Hamiltons. That's right, Hamilton 2 is the jaw-dropping, heart-stomping musical sensation about people forgotten because Alexander got all the attention in the first one. You'll talk less and smile more after spending four hours with Hamilton 2, more Hamiltons, as we dive into the lives of Linda and Leslie Hamilton. And Peggy. And how they fought off Terminators. Learn how George Hamilton got so tan and one day became Colonel Sanders. Spend time with Murray Hamilton and learn secrets from the Beach of Amity as the mayor of Jaws. And Tom Hamilton, the bassist from Aerosmith. Dream on, dream on, dream until his dreams come true. You don't want to miss their shot at telling their story. They'll amaze and astonish you as you realize how lucky you are to be alive right now to witness Hamilton 2, more Hamiltons. The Broadway sensation. The New York Times raves. It's just like the first one, but with killer robots and sharks. The Wall Street Journal says, raise a glass to these other Hamiltons. Their play is something they can never take away. Use code Jeff is funny and receive 50% off Hamilton 2. More Hamiltons and we'll see you on Broadway. All right. That's an exciting way to celebrate the comeback of Broadway. So take advantage of that. That's special just for my listeners. Well, I guess the time has come. It's time for me to share my incredible and story-worthy conversation with Christine Blackburn with you. You're going to love it. Enjoy. All right, everyone. I'm so excited to introduce you to my next guest, comedian, producer, podcaster, speaker, author, actor, Christine <laughs> Blackburn. She's done everything. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thanks, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You've done so much. You, I know you have your podcast, Storyworthy, and as I dig into your life, you've got a million stories, so I could see where that has blossomed and became <laughs> your life journey. You've done so much. When someone just says, hey, uh, Christine, describe yourself for, in like the elevator pitch. How do you describe yourself? I just rattled off 15 things and left off flight yeah, attendant piece you know <laughs> Yeah, but you know that most people in Los Angeles do all those things. You could say, you can say producer, writer, comedian, and host. Those are all the same thing. You're a producer, comedian, writer, and host, are you not? I am, but I'm just a Midwest okay, boy, so well, it's impressive to me. I'm from Pittsburgh, <laughs> I same know, thing. I know. Well, no, but I'm just saying, what do you, I mean, everybody has slash, slash, slash out here because you have to have, you know, multiple tools in your kit, as it were. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Um, hey, well, we got Christine Blackburn on the show. She's done stuff. Oh, there we go. <laughs> no, I tell people, first of all, I tell people I'm a comedian because or that's, you know, that's where I really want to end up in big theaters doing shows. You know, I hear like Mark Maron's schedule or I hear anybody's schedule and I'm just so envious. It's just uh, incredible to be able to hold an audience's attention for, you know, an hour and 10 minutes to headline. I'm so impressed by that. So that's my goal. So I start with comedian. Comedian. And then they say things like, if you've been on Jay Leno, you know, because people, they just have no frame of reference of what it means to to be in Los Angeles or New York or wherever you are, you know, and being a comedian, you know, it's never, it's not just a, a path. It's like your whole life. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, well, you start and then, uh, you know, after two, three years, you pretty much top off and uh, just keep doing that. <laughs> You know? you know, being a comedian, I haven't I haven't been on stage since before COVID. But like, you're right. It's it's like a drug. When I started doing comedy, someone said no it's one ever quits comedy. And it's right. hard. But when you're on stage, and you're getting that feel and that rush. And like, even though it's just like for that short amount of time, it's so amazing. and so worth it. You, anytime you step back off stage after not being on, you're like, I got to do this all the time. I need this. Yeah. There's something about when you're on stage, and you get a reaction that you're 
I feel like I'm being heard, like I'm trying to get my point across. And when people laugh, that's like them saying, I agree. Oh, right. Okay. Now I see how it is. And then I feel appreciated. Right. I used to be across the board. I was very scattered with everything I did comedy wise. I worked with Mary Ellen Hooper once, a wonderful Mm -hmm. comedian. And she pulled me aside and she gave me advice. She's like, just be the frustrated father. Get rid of everything else. Don't do just the, you know, the observational stuff. Anyone can do that. And it's just, that's who you are. Just focus on it. And I kind of retooled everything I did and like just, or if I had other jokes, I would rewrite them in a new point of view with that point of view and kind of mesh things together and kind of make it like that. But it was the nicest thing anyone's ever, you know, when when you're working with a headliner and someone does that. And I was able to thank her like many, many years later, I had her on my podcast and I told her because I kept a diary of everything I had done, specifically the first 10 years of comedy. And I made a book because I wanted my kids to know where I was. (laughs) Wow. And so I would write down my feelings and like how what somebody might have done for me at that point. And so like I had them on, I'd read it to them. I just read it to them. And and so that was, yeah, it's to the kids, but like, but to the comedian as a sort of a thank you. Like I did that. I I read it to Mary Ellen. I said, this is what I wrote. I wrote this when we worked together. You know, I did for Ted Alexandro and like a bunch of people. You know, it was just, it was nice. It was a nice kind of end cap to like, you know, the story of just how people can touch your lives. Because when people just say one little thing to you, positive or negative, right? Yeah. It can send you in a whole different path. Well, and especially when it comes to comedy, I would love somebody to tell me that because I feel scattered all the time on stage because I have done a lot. And sometimes when I think of my life, it's almost like no fucking way. You know, like there's no way, you know, if you somebody, you pitched this movie to somebody and you said all these things went down and th- th- she did all these things, you'd say like, Meh, that's a little much. So it's hard to keep it tight on stage and know which direction to go. So the fact that Mary Ellen gave you that suggestion, you know, it's very inside baseball. It's personal, you know, and to give a comedian a suggestion like that and to be so sure of yourself. But, you know, she's probably right. Right. And it's hard for as being a comedian for her to say, don't do that joke. Well, I know that joke gets X amount of laughs. Don't do it ever again. Not because it's not a good joke. It's just you have to move beyond that. You have to create a different kind of narrative to get people to connect to you. I dated a guy who was pretty famous and he was performing on a cruise ship and I was with him and he did a really in poor taste joke. He was, in the end, we broke up because I found out he was Republican. So I can just say that. But (laughs) the joke was about Caitlyn Jenner. Mm. And this was like while she was going through her, whatever, her changes. And I'm not a fan of her by any means, but he put her up like a joke on the screen. It's this huge screen on a cruise ship. You know, it's a big theater, you know, a thousand people in the theater. And he puts this joke up of her making fun of her. Like, do you want this, you know, in the future? And like this odd picture of her. And afterward, backstage, I said, uh, you know, we were like, there was tension in the room. As soon as I walked in, I could feel tension. We're in the dressing room. We just came up stage. There's practically still applause. And my energy comes in the room. And he's like, what? Now I'm doing his accent. You're going to start figuring out who I'm talking about. I said, you can't do that joke about Caitlyn Jenner. That is so inappropriate. That, you know, that's really racist or or homophobic. It's something. It's not good. And he goes, did you hear the laughter? You replace that joke and I'll replace it. But until then, it gets a laugh. I never like was comfortable with people that you can, you can joke, you can say anything just because you're on stage. It just, there's a certain decency to to humanity and being a human being. It's gross. Yeah, it's gross. I mean, what about, where are your like, I don't know if it's morals or ethics, but it's like deep inside you. Why would you try to spew hate in any way? When you're attacking someone else on stage, that's why it's always best to like, you know, self-deprecating. You have to be the butt of your joke. Of course. You know, it's like when you make, what are you making fun of a homeless guy? What what are you doing? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you can make fun of super rich people, right? right? right. Because we all want to pull them down. But it's such a fine line. I don't, well, to me, it's not a fine line, but I don't know how it is to some people. It's like anytime somebody feels that strongly about something so stupid. It's something else, you know what I mean? There's something else going on. It, it can't be that. It's too nothing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's If you have to get a laugh for that, then you really got to kind of look at yourself and kind of, right. right. it's just, you got to be able to sleep at night as well. So, all right. So being a comic, I watched one of your clips uh, and uh, one of your sets. <laughs> it, 
it was uh, at the Gotham Comedy Club. Excellent job. It was funny because I think you were talking about dating a Jewish guy. And you're like, mm-hmm. that makes me a, sh- a shithead. And, but in my head, because you know, if you're Jewish in the audience, you know, you fill in shiksa. <laughs> like, right. I love jokes like that where it's just like, this is for a certain person. You're going to get one layer of a joke, but I'm going to go a different way. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny. It's good stuff. Let's talk about your podcast and then kind of work backwards. I just want to mention it up front, then we can work backwards and then work back towards it. So 11 years, story worthy, yeah. mm-hmm. 680 episodes. I listen to your podcast and it's hard as a podcaster to listen to other people's podcasts just because really? you're, well, no, I mean, not hard to listen. I mean, it, it's hard to find time to like just listen to other. There's limited time because I'm always working on my podcast, I feel like. Anyway, I, I find see. time for you. That's my point. And, oh, good. Um, oh, good. I like your podcast because it's very, you can go back and listen to any episode really anytime. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. Right. That, it's very that evergreen. It's evergreen. And like, and yeah. like, I, I try to do that with mine as well. The only non-evergreen pieces you'll talk, which in the end is, is impressive. You'll be like, oh, we're on episode 300. We're on episode 600. <laughs> yeah. so you kind of get that subtle thing is like, hey, you got a lot to catch up on. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that you landed on Story Worthy. As you kind of examine your life or anyone examines their life, you've got so many stories. You've got more stories than I think the average person. You're like, a lot of people think they're interesting. <laughs> Christine Blackburn <laughs> is a real deal. You have a book. I read your book. P- is it P-I-T or to L-A-X? Is that I how know, you say it? Um, how do you pit, say pit it? Pit to L-A-X. Pit to L-A-X? Just pit, just pit to L-A-X. Because I was a flight attendant right. and those are city codes. And you know how people call certain airlines, you know, like you might ca- uh, call JFK, JFK. Then you might call LAX. Well, I guess you call it LAX. <laughs> <laughs> but Pitt, for some reason, you just say Pitt, P-I-T. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure who made up the city cl- codes. Right. I, would just say, I didn't the know. The, I, you're a flight attendant. I just didn't want I said it wrong. I didn't want I wanted to be cool. I just said, but I didn't know if it was just Pitt to LAX, my story, worthy life. It's a fun read. You're, you're an interesting writer because it's like. You're a great writer, by the way. I, I enjoy oh, all the stories. They kind of have like a, a twist sometimes where I felt guilty about like, like you're talking about seeing a boy and meeting a boy and then it ends with a sexual assault. Because I thought it was like a cute story and then it ends, it takes a real twist. And a lot of your stories kind of take a twist like that as well, which I find fascinating, but it just- That's life, Jeff. I know it's life. I'm just saying, but you, it's great. I'm just, I'm just saying it was, it was great reading because yeah. like, the emotions switched on a dime and as you're as you're reading your story. So I love your style. I, yeah, maybe, I love maybe your style I've, is my point. I've always been an optimist, but then in the end you get shit on. Right. I, I don't know why that is in life, but that's you know, but then I keep going back for more. I, I don't know. You have to be an optimist, but you have Well, not necessarily. A lot of people aren't. That's true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Tons of great stories in your book. The one question I had for you in general is, what's your current relationship with Burger King chocolate shakes? I haven't been to a fast food restaurant, well, outside of In-Out Burger. I go to In-Out Burger about four times a year. But other than that, like, it doesn't even occur to me to go to fast food. So I never, I never go to fast food. When I was pregnant, I did treat myself to chocolate milkshakes. But I would go to House of Pies where they put like some of the shake remains in the silver metal container. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you got the milkshake in the soda cup. And then so it's the bright cup. It's glass with, you know, the whole deal. And then you get that extra part. So I will treat myself to that now and then. (laughs) But yeah, growing up, it was all about chocolate milkshake at Burger King. We only had Burger King. Did you have fast food growing up? You did. Yes. We we had fast food growing up and... Probably ate it more than we should have. When I was doing comedy, I probably gained a ridiculous amount of weight because after shows, I would go to Burger King or McDonald's fast, you know, the drive through because I was starving mm-hmm. after hours of being on stage and, or, you know, just being at the club. I've, I haven't had, it's probably, I finally gave that up, but it's been about 10 years. I remember the kids growing up, we tried to limit them. And then one day we were watching that, what was it, documentary where he ate McDonald's for 30 days. Yeah, that was gross. Morgan Spurlock. And we're watching it. And I remember the kid's face. They see us watching it and they watch some of it. And they're like, you're not going to let us eat McDonald's anymore, are you? And they stormed off. It was kind of funny. But eventually they stopped doing it. Somehow I did something right. I. How many kids do you have? I have two daughters. Oh, how nice. 22 and 19. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. So they're pretty much grown. Uh, we're empty nesters. You have one daughter, right? Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah, she's four- 14. I love having girls. Me too. Me too. 
it was about everyone's always like, do you, do you wish you had a boy? I'm like, nope, not at all. I mean, I did fail. My kids don't like Star Wars or anything that I like. My daughter loves Star Wars. I don't know what that's all about. Sometimes I worry about my daughter because when I was 14, I was already smoking weed. I was already taking pills, whatever I could find. I was already stupid. But this girl, my daughter, she's so bright. And I've been able to keep her, as it were, a little bit young because there's always somebody with her. She's not alone. She's not abandoned. And when I worry, though, about drugs or boys or whatever, I... I'm comforted that she just wants another Star Wars lightsaber. That's really all she wants. And she already has two. We got the kids into Disney World. They love Disney World. That's like my favorite thing is going to Disney World. And so we, we did that with the kids. It's, it's funny because um, so we took the kids to Disney World growing up. We'd go every, every so often. And then they got really into Harry Potter. So we switched. Mm-hmm. And probably for like a six to eight year period, we went to Universal. Universal. And which is amazing, which is universal. But then we go back to Disney World. So now we're going back to Disney World. And it's probably been 10 years since we went to Disney World. We had, This is probably our third or fourth trip. We set up the same exact trip that we always did. We The same dinners, the same things. And like we go to this thing, one of the character dinners. And we're sitting there and the characters start coming out. And my wife and I look at each other and we're like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. These kids are now 18. We, in our head, though, they were still 10. And like, it just all of a sudden, it, like just in one moment, we realized our kids had grown up and we're like, what the hell are we doing here? This That's is insane. Funny. Time just goes by. But gotta... I was going to ask you, what did you like about Disney World? I love everything about Disney World. I, I, went, I remember going with my parents. I remember my grandparents taking me. There's just something when I'm there. I just feel great. It's and there's like everything to me is has some kind of nostalgic feel to it that I don't get when I'm at Universal. I enjoy Universal, but it's not like every five feet I'm taking a picture. It's something at Universal. I don't know. Just something hmm. about Disney World. I just I just wow. love it. I just love wow. it. I don't know. I don't huh. know. Weird. I know some people hate yeah. it. Some people love it. I just, yeah. I just I uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm biting my tongue. No, it's okay. <laughs> okay. No, I get no, that's it. Okay. I get it. It's just you know everyone's got their thing. You know what I mean? So it. Yeah, but my my daughter's father and I, neither of us are Disney fans, like of any sort whatsoever. And we kept her not away from it, but we never, we didn't buy any of the DVDs. It wasn't on TV. There were no princesses, for Christ's sakes. I mean, I never, ever brought up any of that shit. Like, I just was so opposed to it. And I brought her up more like on the Peanuts and Charlie Brown and The Simpsons. And what I think is clever and funny. And it worked. So all the way, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, about eleven. And then some shit comes out called Aladdin or something. And I had to go see it with and then all of a sudden she's just took off on this freaking Disney path. And I just I just I'm so sorry. I just I I get my stomach turns when I think of any of it. The, the characters, when you said you're eating and they're coming over to you, I would have freaking run with my hands over my head for the hills. That's frightening. No, it's not frightening. I love it. I, it never, it's, wow. Look, it, I can accept <laughs> that we're different in this way. Okay. We'll respect this. This isn't, this isn't like Deal this will reaction you'll get if you're a Democrat <laughs> talking to a Republican or something. When I tell you I am the exact opposite, we there was an area in Disney World where I found out you could meet Jiminy Cricket. Jimmy Cricket. Jiminy Cricket, I don't know, you know what I mean. And took the train. And when I tell you, I sprinted. I mean, I'm like George in that episode of Seinfeld where I'm knocking people over, you know, when there's a fire in the place. Like to get in line to meet these characters. My kids, they all make fun of me. And like the, actually the last trip we went to, they're like, yeah, we're not as much into that anymore, dad. And I'm like, oh, like I bit my tongue. That and is I just, so like, funny. Well, listen, no, I, I know people that are into it. Like a couple of my friends, well, a lot of my friends are into it, even at my age. And the last time I went, which was just like five months ago, my buddy Les, you know, the, the, the father of the other child we're with, he's my buddy Les, I've known him for 24 years. We're in the gift shop. He's taking photos. And I say, what are you taking photos of? And he says, reference. <laughs> reference. Yeah. I'm just like, okay. No, it's not a cult, but Jeff, it's a cult. <laughs> it is. I, I don't, I'm not going to, I wouldn't even try to convince you that it's not a cult. It is. It's just, I'm all in on it. 
Yeah, one of my ex-boyfriends, he, Mike Gandolfi, he's a writer here in L.A., he got married in Disney World. I'm like, oh, my God, we dated. It never came up. I am not to that level. I've always, I've always found that like my level of fandom for anything is probably 30% of anyone who's off the charts of fandom. <laughs> like I was a huge fan of the monkeys. I still am. I love the monkeys. And so I met Mike Nesmith at a mm -hmm. Comic-Con. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking to myself, I love the monkeys. Mike Nesmith, like his comedy, like his voice, my favorite, my favorite. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking to myself, I'm a big fan. I'm yeah. such a fan. I'm about to spend $100 just to get his autograph on my wow. headquarters LP. Wow. I was more of a Peter Tork kind of guy. I wanted to meet him. I went to the Comic-Con that he was at, had Stan Lee and Norman Reedus oh. from The Walking Dead at the same time. It took us four hours to even get close, and we couldn't even get in. <laughs> but it was like, and then and when he passed away, I was like, ugh. So I didn't. I never got it. That was my opportunity. I was going to have him sign. You blew it. <laughs> my point is, like, I'm standing in line. There's these Mike Nesmith fans that are like through the roof. They've got fifty thing pictures and of Aww, and and art pieces neat. and like things. And they're yeah. spending seven hundred dollars to have him sign Aww. seven things. And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, I'm. A <laughs> That's neat, though. I enjoy yeah. things, but I don't go. But Disney is probably the closest. The closest. <laughs> but I'm sorry if that tore us apart. <laughs> I guess I'm just cynical. I'm just I'm just very cynical. I don't know. It's just something. I think it's when I have memories of the entire family going. I can picture. I know this is going to sound dumb, but like when we bumped in, like uh, I see Tweedledee and Tweedledum later. It's like I get a, an emotional reaction just because when I was a kid, they bear hugged my mom. It was like this this memory. I know. It just all right. I got, I'm going to stop. Though maybe I'll get Disney as a sponsor. No, <laughs> just kidding. They they wouldn't give money to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> when we go though we had like strict rules right i mean i was like the kids get you get one hat and you can buy one thing oh so it's only four hundred dollars a kid right exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right i like the the free refills at disney world are 5.99 exactly all right let's talk about you moth story winner three times let's hear some stories from you what <laughs> that's that's pretty impressive as well no it's not dude it to I win i mean like i know but listen here's what people don't understand about the moth okay first of all they're starting with a premise that anybody can tell a story sure but not that many tell them well okay so sure. when you go to a moth there's 10 people that are going to perform and then There'll be 10 moths and each one, there's a winner each night. And then those 10 people perform and then you win the grand slam as it were. But the thing is, is like the judges at the moth are regular people. They're just people in the audience. Like the host goes around and says, Hey, you guys want to be judges? Okay, cool. You guys want to be judges? Okay, cool. So there's no frame of reference to who wins and who doesn't. You need to understand that I've heard the best stories ever told at the moth, but then somebody goes up after that person and they're in a wheelchair or they talk about falling out of a tree or surviving cancer and then they win no matter what. In other words, it's not the best. So if you win a night, it doesn't mean you were the best one. It just means that that's who the judges felt. I mean, it's more than subjective. It's more than subjective. It's it's not even close to reality. You will not saying. let me give you a compliment. That is the theme if, of this okay, no, episode no, so far. No, fine. I won the moth, <laughs> but I'm just saying it doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's okay. You might be good, but it means you're a not. good storyteller. It means you got on stage, you moved people, and they said you were awesome. Yeah, That's sure. It. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Come on. <laughs> I've done the radio show a few times, too. I mean, I, I don't do the radio show. They pull the stories and they plug them in. And my story has been played a few times. And that's fun. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Oh, what's, what, why is that a big deal? Why is that a big deal? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I'm just I'm saying there's no, money, there's no money associated with the moth. And, you know, like if they would call me and say like, you know, you won the moth a few times. We think you're great. Why don't you come and MC something? Then I'd be excited. But they're not. It's, and it's a huge nonprofit. It's a big, big industry now. And they are doing great stuff. So there. Okay. All right. <laughs> New topic. Let's talk about your commercials that you've done because I watched your commercial reel and I think I could watch those commercial reels like a hundred times in a row. Those were- Because it's so funny, right? I mean, the pancake machine, which I actually want to get. 
Uh, some of the classics is the Weekly Pill Sorter and Organizer, Cooling Gel Pads, Church of Later Day Saints, Power Vac. I wanted to know what you were talking to John Travolta about that he got up and walked that was away. About la- no, he was mad because his hair. You know, there was a there was a spot on his hair. That was when he was always painting his head, and you know, he had like two hairstylists on him that night. So it was like three in the morning. First of all, we shot. My call time was at two a.m. at Sunset Gower Studios to interview John Travolta for his new movie called Ladder 49. This is like 2005. This is a while ago. But anyway, so I met at 3 a.m. Sunset Gower Studios or 2 a.m. And then the call time, the call time was 2 and we started shooting at 3. And that is, I learned later, that he keeps the hours like L. Ron Hubbard kept in the, the Scientology organization. He was always up all night. So John Travolta also kept those hours. By the way, I parked next to John Travolta's car. And I had like a Subaru and his car was, can't remember the exact car. I should make it up. But it was a really nice sports car. And I knew it was his because I think there was even Travolta on it or something was Travolta. And I took a picture of our cars together. <laughs> we would be chatting with each other and then he would want to look in the monitor. And then he would say to the, the hair girls or the makeup girls, he said, see that? See that? There's a little shine right there. See, I know what I'm looking at. I know what I'm looking for. You know, and this is all about his hair. It was really important to him, but he was the sweetest guy ever. Great guy. And I got to see him change his shirt a few times, and that was pretty exciting. Awesome. It's 20 years ago, Jeff. No, 20 years ago, John Travolta shirtless. That would be definitely worth seeing. (laughs) That was a highlight. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you that. I peed next to Eric Roberts once at a Comic-Con. Well, Hmm. see? There you go. It all comes around. It's the little things that matter in life. Yeah. (laughs) I thought you might say you saw Jiminy Cricket's, you know, pee-pee or something. No, no, no. Mm. But uh, I'm not saying I wouldn't have tried, but it wasn't an option. (laughs) Do the Disney characters have genitalia? No. And I tell Mm. you, here's the funny thing, which will not win you over on Disney at all, is my kids were into Little Princesses, which uh, Sophia the First was a princess. and Yeah, uh, my, sure my daughter liked that one. Okay, okay. So at Disney World in that area, my daughter was really into Sophia the First. So this character, unlike a Snow White or something where it's an actual woman and, you know, she's, mm, Snow White, is this is a character, meaning like the head was the character, right? right? It wasn't a, a, a young woman pretending to be Sophia the First. So I turned to the handler Shouldn't have done it. But I turned to the handler and I said, question, why is Sophia the first princess have the head, but the other princesses don't? And she looks at me and says, sir, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) You know, that's so funny. Okay, now let's go all the way back to 30 years ago. I dated a guy who worked at Disney World, the big one in Florida, right? And he was working so much. I don't know if you knew about the way Disney used to handle their employees or the way they still do. I've done two commercials for Disney, by the way. Always non-union. They don't pay for shit, man. Disney's the cheapest place you're ever going to work. So, But I am dating this guy. He's in the hospitality center at Disney World. He had to shave his beard. He had to cut his hair. He had to, you know, they're very, very, very specific. No earrings, no tattoos, all this stuff. And even though he had worked like 10 days straight or whatever, it's the holidays and he can't get off. And so I'm by myself in Disney World for three flipping days. Disney World and Epcot. And I'm walking around and I am astounded by how clean it is. It's true. I mean, it's a remarkably clean park. And I say to some woman, you know, some, um, you know, person who worked there in the park sanitation. I said, it's so clean. Where does all the trash go? And she says, there is no trash in the kingdom. (laughs) You see, Jeff, you see where the inner, the anger comes from? I, I just, I wanted to push her in the lake. Right. I think you're repelled by what maybe draws me to it, which is the faux perfection of mm. of what they're trying to pull mm-hmm. off there. I tell you though, like the last time I went, I tried to do the under underground tour that they have. I mean, you you know everything that Disney World is built like ten feet off the ground, and so everything, mm-hmm. all the tunnels underneath and everything like that. And they wouldn't let us because my daughter you had to be sixteen, and my daughter was going to be sixteen in like a month, but they oh would not God. not do it. But I'll tell you what I did do, and this I don't know. I feel like I'm just. These Disney confessions, I've never talked to uh, the, uh, but I, and I, and I know it won't like win you over. I know it's just like, I'm just going to make Christine hate me even more about this Disney stuff. <laughs> so we were going to Disney World and my dad had just died. 
And so I have a little extra cash. And so we're going to Disney World. And I'm like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do that flipping VIP tour. We are going to go like a fucking king to Disney World. <laughs> and so my cousins happened to be there at the same time. And it was the same price for up to 10 people. So I'm like, hey, do you want to do it? And he's like, hell yeah, because he loves Disney just like I do. And probably for the same reasons, because as a kid, we would all go together. When I tell you we spent 10, 12 hours straight and we hit all four parks, they would drive us from park to park. We literally would pull up, walk into soaring, like literally, like not parking lots. Mm -hmm. Then they would check us in. The Avatar rides were a huge deal at the time. We get there at 8 a.m. At 8.10, we're walking by a thousand. We did both Avatar rides. We walk by a thousand people, no less than a thousand people waiting to get into these Avatar rides. It's easily a four-hour wait. We did it in the first 10 minutes of the park. I turn to my kids and I say, don't let anyone tell you money can't buy happiness. And I just kept walking. <laughs> I was just like, it was, it's horrible. I know it's that horrible. That should be Disney's theme. Money can buy you happiness. Yes, yes. Disney, the happiest place on earth if you have an awful lot of money. The next day in our hotel, I get a little certificate under the door. World Traveler. You get. I didn't even know that was a thing. But apparently, if you go to all four parks in one day, you get a certificate. <laughs> and then a princess comes and blows you or what? I mean, when's the good news? When's the good See, this is where the, we are diametrically opposed on this, this topic. Yeah. yeah sorry. That was the good news. I got a certificate, Christy. <laughs> wow. Interesting. I know. I know. Well, I only live like two blocks from Gelson's Market, and there is a bar in the store in Gelson's Market. It's a wine bar, and you can sit there at night and watch Jeopardy in the grocery store. So it's all the bright fluorescent lights, and you're at the bar. And you can even sip and shop where you'll drink and they'll shop for you and bring your groceries right over to the bar for you. But anyway, that was Walt Disney's original studio. So I am drinking in Walt Disney's original studio. And, you know, all of his bungalows, the Disney bungalows are right beside me. And his original home is very close to me. Yeah, it doesn't even, I don't think twice about it. I just order a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Walt Disney may not even have liked Jews, and I'm still willing to look past that. <laughs> yeah, right? There were so many racist, terrible things. Oh, my gosh. Yes. But yeah, that's not just him. That was the time, et cetera. Exactly. Okay. Well, this has been fun. Uh, welcome to Disney Talk with Jeff and Christine. <laughs> Every week, we talk about Disney, the minuses, the pluses, the hatred, and the love. Next week, we go deep into Dole Whip. Where can you get it? And is it worth it? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> it's a small world unless you want to murder someone in the middle of the lake <laughs> okay so um we could talk about something else let's talk about you being a flight attendant because that was interesting and i'll tell you the mm -hmm. most the specific thing in your book the story you talk about one of the passengers dying mm -hmm. on the flight and then you yeah. had to go into a whole weekend at bernie's thing to put yeah. on a whole uh kind of charade for yeah. the rest of the passengers. Is that like just standard when someone dies on a plane? Yeah. Yeah. You don't you don't make any note of it. In this case, there was a nurse with a guy. So again, it was like confirmed he was dead. It wasn't like, is there a doctor on the plane? Can we help this man? It wasn't that. The man died. So what's the point in putting an announcement on? You know, hey guys, you know, ladies and gentlemen, just to inform you, there's a dead man in 5C. You know what I mean? So you know, you don't say anything. You put a blanket on them. And not all, you know, just up to their neck. And then you put an oxygen mask around their nose and mouth. <laughs> you adjust the elastic band around their head and you just, you know, pretend. Right. Oh, did you want something to eat? Oh, I'll be right back. You know, are you, are you comfortable? Okay. Just checking. Take off his glasses if he's wearing glasses so no one notices. Hey, that's weird. He's wearing a mask and his glasses aren't fogging up. <laughs> <laughs> now you just take a big old mask and put it all the way over their face, I suppose. Oh, that's so funny. But as you were telling that story, I was just like, oh, man. The best part was you had to take them off the plane first. I know. It was so stupid. I kept thinking, like, just get all the passengers off. You know how when the door opens, you just wanted to, like, you want people to just, like, when you're popping, if you pop a balloon and the water just flies out, that's what you want to happen when the door opens of a plane. We all feel it. 
It's all just like, move, like, get the fuck out. You know, everybody wants out. That's what I thought we would do, just get everybody out. And then we have all the time in the world to get the dead guy off. But that's not what happened. (laughs) I was, you know, flying in the A position, the lead position. And I, you know, we taxi into the gate. I open the door. They pull up the jetway, kind of connects. And then that little hose thing goes over the top sometimes, you know, you know, to make it look like a straight hallway off the plane. And then there were two paramedics there with a straight back chair. You know, and the straight back chair is the one that doesn't have any arms or anything so that it can go all the way back down the aisle. And they just wheeled it on and then they did the whole charade. (laughs) And everybody had to wait till they put this dead man in on the straight back chair. They fastened the straps around him with Velcro, you know, and they kept going, okay. And then they dolly him off. You know, it's almost like a dolly. And they're, okay, let's get going, Mr. Klein. All right, great. You're doing great. Thank you. Okay, I'm like, bye-bye. Take care. Come back soon. See you soon. And they took him off, and then everybody else got off. That's fine, because you're right, though. The second a plane lands, everyone just wants to get the hell off. Oh, and my you, God, yeah. Logically, I totally understand your point of view. They let the people with the wheelchairs on first, and then they're the last ones off, right? They should be, but the, the wheelchair people always jump up and try to get off, and that's very frustrating. But. You think if you wanted to empty a plane quickly, you just go, attention, everybody, we just landed in LAX. By the way, Mr. Klein in 5C is dead. <laughs> you you think they, that would just empty that plane faster than Open any the plane's back door, been emptied? Yeah. Jumping down the slide, pop the slide. <laughs> Seems like a missed opportunity. I love in Burbank, California, they they do board and deplane with two doors, the front and the back. You know, they take air stairs up to both both the front and the back of the plane, and that's a very nice way to board and deplane. That is nice. Then you don't have that elitist thing where everyone in the front is getting off first that paid more right. and all that. Yeah. Right. Because there is nothing more stressful than being kind of stuck in the middle of a plane and you have to like catch another flight or something like that and Ugh. you have to like run to it because no one's going to yeah. let you off. Well, I I was always cool about that. Like, I'd say, okay, listen, folks, the people on the way to Charlotte have a really tight connection. Could you just stay seated until these 12 people run off to Charlotte? Could you do that? Like, I try to be very real with people. But other flight attendants weren't. You know, other flight attendants were so, you know, it was just like I was never in a sorority. I've never been a clicky girl. And it was kind of like that. And I just was not a part of that world. Like, I would give everybody two packs of peanuts. And you'd hear a flight attendant saying, Oh, no, you can't give out two packs of peanuts because we don't have enough for everybody to go around. You can only give out one pack of peanuts. And I'm like, well, why don't we give out two packs so we run out and then we'll give out, you know, like, who cares? No, no, no. One pack per passenger. You can't. It's one pack per passenger. Who cares? You know, just like I, I always felt like nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to be on the plane. Nobody wants to be working. I think the pilots often like to be there because those guys are like, you know, they're flying nerds is what they are. Women and men, they like to fly. But other than the pilots, nobody wants to be there. Flying always, when I worked at certain places where I would fly frequently, but not like not like I was flying three times a week or something, I was always petrified of of dying on a plane. Like it was, I don't know why I just, it was just the fear. So like, I remember going into Denver once for some reason, I think Denver coming into Denver always had the worst turbulence. And like, I always would be like, I'm about, this is the end. This is where I say goodbye. And like, I would always have like certain things. I would keep an eye on the flight attendants. If they seem calm, I was calm. I would have a glass. I didn't keep a water, my thing. And if it wasn't spilling, I felt like I was, you know, the little Jurassic Park test, you know, boom, you know, like if it was, I know it's just crazy. Eventually, I got much calmer about it. It was always, uh, I was just like, wow. The, and then you look at the flight attendants, by the you guys are flying like it's nothing. And it's like still in my brain. I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Were you afraid of who, who was flying the plane or did you not trust the pilots? Did you think it was Pluto and Goofy, your friends? You know, that was just mean. That was just mean, Christine. <laughs> no, I, I had no, 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 no. I had no... There was no literal fear of anyone's qualifications for who was doing what. Otherwise, I don't think I would have even been able to get on the plane. It was just the literal randomness of... I had a friend once who was supposed to be on a plane that crashed. They didn't end up on that plane. I mean, I think you tell a story too, where an engine blew in the book, right? I would just been like, oh my God. And, you know, just petrified like the whole time, the whole time. It was just, those are the, the things that go through my head. It's funny, if I were actually with other family members, if like when traveling with my family, I was much more at ease. Maybe it was more this, the idea of like, if we're all going to go, we're going to go. And <laughs> as opposed to like leaving them behind, all right, them being uh, to li- 
go on without me or something. I don't know. It's just, there was just some weird plane issues I have and you're mm-hmm. not helping with them at all, especially with that, well, that pilot crack, yeah. especially with the pilot yeah. crack. Sorry. I, I, I guess it's like a matter of control really, right? So you're afraid because you don't feel any control in the situation? That could be it. Yeah. You know, I don't think I have a fear of flying. Like some people have a fear of flying. It was just, Mm -hmm. it was just a slight irrational. I need to get through this. Take a deep breath. So let's say, let's say you were going to go skydiving, like tandem with another, you know, and you're with a professional skydiver. Do you want to go with a guy who's had 4,000 jumps or the guy who's had like 200 jumps? Oh, again, I totally trust the pilot. I know that the No, staff, no, I'm and, asking you yeah, a question. Yeah, the 4,000 jumps, of course. Well, yeah, but now he's more likely to get into an accident. Oh, you're messing with my brain. I totally <laughs> get that. <laughs> you're right. It's like it's funny because it's like, you're right. It's like, it's always like if something happens, um, I was going to Israel when I was a teenager and the whole Pan Am plane. Was oh, yeah, blue. the Lockerbie, Scotland. So my parents weren't going to send, but someone's like, well, now is probably one of the better times to go. <laughs> Because it already happened. You know, like, all right. So I, I I did end up going. And like, this is, you know what my weird philosophy on traveling is? If I'm going to die traveling, I want it to be on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> like, to me, it's like nothing would be yeah. more tragic than dying on the way to a vacation. To a vacation, yeah. Coming back would be like, okay, because at yeah. least you had the vacation. <laughs> and if you're in another country, it's a real hassle with the body and everything. I don't want to die on vacation. It's a real hassle to get the body back to the, the country it belongs to. It's not quick. And in the Jewish faith, you're supposed to be buried within 24 hours, right? Yes, I think within like I yeah, wonder what they would do. So. Let's say you're in Paris and you die. What happens? Well, my dad died on vacation, but it was in New York. And it was, you just, you have to delay it. So you don't get in trouble if you delay it? No, I mean, it's... That's what they want to do, just because they don't believe in the whole dawdling of it. It's just kind of, you know, move through the process. But if it's something like my dad was on vacation, died in New York, we had to arrange to have him flown back. What what happened? My dad was one of those people that was the healthiest people in the world, never sick. Had one thing wrong with him, goes to New York. He sees Hamilton, the original oh, man. But this is when you, when you saw Hamilton and most people hadn't seen Hamilton. Oh, yeah. So it was big a big deal, big deal, deal at the time that when big he deal. saw Hamilton. It turned out one of his patients, his son, was one of the investors. So they got really good seats. So they saw Hamilton. I think the next day they're maybe seeing Waitress or something. Don't quote oh, me. Oh, I love that. He's not feeling well. They go back to the hospital and- The hotel. The hotel. They go back to the hotel. They can't get him in until much later. Then he finally goes in. He codes a couple times. He basically was like, I think it was pancreatitis or something like that. It was it was really weird because like the next day I talked to him at eleven a.m. Like, and then later the doctor called and said you have to come. You know, we we revived him twice, but you have to come. But you're not going to make it. And so I was like, what? Because that played with my head. Because I'm like, no, you just told me you revived him twice. This is how it works on TV. When you get revived, you live. And he goes, no. When the reality of that is when the body goes through something like that, it's pretty much over. So. <sighs> We flew to New York. It was weird because when we landed, all the, all the people knew he had died already, but we didn't because we were Ugh. in the air. And it was weird because they're like, when was the last time you talked to your dad? And I'm like, I don't remember. I think I saw him I saw him before he left. And then my wife's like, you talked to him this morning. Like it was must have been so traumatic that I just Ugh. completely blocked it out. So I ended up, I remember doing, I did the eulogy. And so I wasn't, I'm not like, I hate eulogies where they talk about generic stories and, you know, like, it's like, it could be anyone. So I wrote. You know, stand-up comedian. My dad was always very supportive of me. And so I wrote what I would want to be a eulogy. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and part of it was like just talking about Hamilton. And I remember because it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. And he was excited to have seen it. And uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm kind of going down the weird path here. But the uh, I remember arguing with the hospital. They were charging me like this fortune to have him be there. And I'm like, all he did was die there. <laughs> like, I don't want to give you $1,500. Yeah. How old was he and how did he die? It was seventy two. I'm oh, thinking. I'm thinking fuck. it was. Um, That's very young. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was about five years ago. Five years ago. And oh, was, I'm so sorry. It was pancreatitis or something. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why. I can't remember. But the, and he uh, didn't know anything about it. Nope. I'm so nope. sorry. Was he with your mom? My stepmom. And how is she, how'd she do? How'd she do through the rest of that? And how how is she now? Well, uh, she, she passed away a year ago. She managed through it pretty, you know, pretty well. So, you know, it was it was hard, but we all flew out there to be with her. Sure. Uh, you know, and so, you know, the doctor's it's family. Like, and so we, we were with her and kind of, you know, we all, you know, we stayed the night. We all flew back together the next day. And uh, you didn't bury him in New York, right? You took him back? 
We flew him back to Michigan, and uh, he was buried next to my mom uh, in Michigan. Ah, sorry to hear that. That's so premature. Yeah, yeah. It came out. It was. A, it was. Yeah. It was just one of those things. Like you've literally had never been sick, and then boom. You know, one little thing can go undetected and kind of just. Uh, Mm-hmm. So everyone, do your healthy checkups. Yeah, no kidding. It's so frustrating when people that have the cancers that are preventable in terms of they're slow moving. So colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer. These are very, very slow moving cancers that if you catch them and you get what, you know, the testing you're supposed to get when you're supposed to get it, no problemo. No problemo, really. My brother's a survivor. So am I. So are you, yes. Let's pivot to that story. <laughs> I think we're going to have to do part two, Jeff. What? <laughs> oh, you're right. We're totally at the end. Yes, you're a cancer survivor. He's a cancer survivor. You're right. <laughs> I didn't what realize. did your brother, what was his uh, What was his ailment? Testicular cancer. Okay. Which, Can that be tested for? You know, it's one of those things where it's usually like you have to be smart enough to catch that you're having pains and go to the doctor. I Not, see. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You and can't so, ignore it. Right. You can't ignore it. So you spent... Uh, a lot of time with me, and I do thank you for that. I'll have you back, and we'll we'll have a part oh, two. No, I'm fascinated by hearing where you're from, where you know where you're coming from, and and your past. It's so much. It's so interesting what you can learn about somebody so quickly. You know, like if I got you pegged for outside of Detroit, you know, you're, you're married to kids, parents passed away. Like it just, it's a lot. You know, it's. I, I mean, I'm just saying, like that's the power of podcasting. Not to preach it out, but I'm just saying, like there is an intimacy in podcasting where it's like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Now I know that guy, as it were. It is nice. It, yeah, it is the power of podcasting. It's a, it's an excellent medium just to get people to kind of slow burn know you over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even notice the time because you've been so delightful to talk to. <laughs> and I do appreciate all the Disney ribbing. Don't worry about that. That's all good. And maybe I wasn't worried. <laughs> <laughs> I want to show you something real quick. Hang on. Because okay. it's right here in me. Look, my daughter's Skylar sister dress. Oh, that's, kind of, that's awesome. Is she going to play or did it just go as one of the characters for something? No, my daughter just, uh, she loves Hamilton as well. She loves musical theater. She wanted the costume of Angelica. So I bought it for her twice because as you know, kids grow very fast. Yes. So of course she grew out of the first dress quickly and then the second dress even quicker. You know, I can resell them or whatever, but also, you know, and they were like $100 dresses. But the thing is, is like, are you going to get your kid a $100 game or electronic or whatever or do you want to get them like a hundred dollar like costume it's like play it's like imagination it's like a real deal like she puts it on and she becomes a different person or she does whatever i would always rather put money there even when she was even smaller and wanted an american girl doll those dolls are like 120 bucks but i'd rather play with a doll than give her a hundred dollars in electronic toys to me parenting was always about well, first of all, parenting her the way I wish I was parented, <laughs> that would be the, that's the main reason. Well, that is beautiful. And I agree with you. Give them something to be creative and that just blossoms and leads to many, many other cool things. Yeah. This time just flew by. Let me just mention a few things for you. Everyone can check you out on Storyworthy. That's your podcast in its mm-hmm. 11th year. So many amazing podcasts. Christine is amazing at interviewing people and then all of her guests share an amazing story so it's it's a really really interesting podcast story worthy and then you do story smash story smash it's called story smash the storytelling game show and it's a live show we play at the improv every month we're back at the improv we have shows going on all fall generally the last saturday of the month at the hollywood improv at 7 30 and Story Smash is, it's just an incredible game show that I've been doing for about 10 years. I'm dying to get it on television. I'm dying to get the home version out and even the children's version. But basically, there's a wheel with 16 spaces. The contestants go up and they spin the wheel. Whatever space they land on, there's a word or a subject. And the subject might be vacation or mom or birthdays or school days. And you have to tell a one or two minute story based on that topic. So in one minute, tell me about your birthday or whatever, whatever the topic is. It could be virginity. It could be car accidents. It could be hospitals. It could be insurance. And you tell me a story on the spot in one minute. Then when your story's over, I have three judges and I call them expert judges in quotes. And 
These are really very, very talented comedians, including I'll have like Blank Apache or Peter Melman, writer Peter Melman from Seinfeld, or writer Danny Zucker from Modern Family, Melissa Peterman, Marilyn Rice Cub, Wayne Fetterman, Jimmy Pardo. I've had all these different uh, judges on, and they critique the story. And everybody, <laughs> it's just so funny because in the minute or two minutes, whichever round it is, round one is a true one minute story, round two is a true two minute story. You learn so much about somebody in just one minute. It's unbelievable how much you can learn in a very short amount of time. And then the judges <laughs> just basically not rip them apart, but they add to the story, they joke about the story, and it's just wildly funny. The audience just loses it. And then two contestants are chosen to go on to the third round and to tell a true three-minute story. And three minutes is a whole lot of time. And uh, again, the judges then critique them, and hilarity ensues, Jeff. And then a winner is chosen, and the winner receives my famous chocolate chip cookies. Woo! Well, at least they win something. That's more than you got for winning the moth three times, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Christine also has but, a book. Wait, I, oh, go ahead. I, oh, I was just going to say, people can go to StorySmashShow.com, StorySmashShow.com, and you'll get all the information. Thank you. Absolutely. Everyone can check out Christine's book. Pit to LAX, my story worthy life. You can get that on Amazon. And tell, tell us uh, all your other socials. Storyworthypodcast.com. <laughs> yeah, and at Storyworthy is my, is my um, social handle. I'd love to have you on Storyworthy as well, Jeff. You're great. Oh, that would be fantastic. That Good. Would be amazing. Thank we'll you. We'll do it. Well, thank you for spending all this time with me. I know there's a million stories, uh, but it's always fun just uh, when a show goes where it goes. So thank you so much for that. I didn't think it was going to turn into a slight therapy session for me, but thank you for that as well and listening. <laughs> just call me Tweedledum. <laughs> I'll be your Snow White. <laughs> uh, you're the best. It's so nice to have met you. I can't thank you enough for sharing all this time with me. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. All right. How amazing was Christine Blackburn, everybody? Everyone go subscribe to her podcast. It is definitely story worthy and you'll love it. It's one of my favorites. Well, can you believe it? Episode 75 is almost over. I can't get over it, but it's not over yet. It's still time for a trending hashtag from the family of hashtag games at hashtag roundup. That's right. Follow Hashtag Roundup on Twitter at Hashtag Roundup. Download the Hashtag Roundup app on Apple or Google Play Store. Play along, and one day one of your tweets may show up in an episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. Fame and fortune await you. This week's hashtag is a special one. I chose Hashtag Unlikely Disney Plot Twists. With hope that Christine would listen to these and maybe of these versions of the Disney shows and movies that maybe Christine would love Disney more than she does now. So here we go. Here's a we're just going to take a shot at it. Hashtag unlikely Disney plot twist from the unlikely game, a weekly game on hashtag roundup Disney plot twists that seem a bit unlikely. And here we go. After Pinocchio, Geppetto stops carving puppets and creates a successful line of adult toys. That sounds fascinating. The gang cooks Piglet. They got a hunger for bacon. The seven dwarves were actually mining Bitcoin. Very relevant. Very relevant. Ariel learns about crabs, but we're not talking about Sebastian. Oh, wink, wink. A gritty reboot of The Rescuers starring Liam Neeson. I've got a particular set of rescuing skills. That was... A horrible impression. I, I apologize. They find Nemo at the sushi bar. Oh, no. These are unlikely Disney plot twists that are drawing me in. I got to admit, Baloo shows more bare necessities than is actually necessary. Ooh, naughty. Pluto moves to Uranus. That sounds like a space odyssey adventure I could get behind. You exit from Space Mountain and walk through a room that gives you free stuff. What? That is insane plot twist. Pinocchio gets termite rot and is tossed in the fireplace. Ooh, did not see that one coming, but I'm fascinated. Snow White opens an animal sanctuary on her own without any help from a prince. Good for her. You go, girl. The great mouse detective investigates Mickey's taxes. It's about time. It's been suspect for a while. And our final unlikely Disney plot twist, our last hope. 
Cinderella marries the prince for fame and money. Ooh, the Real Housewives of Disney princesses is coming at you soon. Well, those were some unlikely Disney plot twists. Tweet your own on Twitter. I'll look for it. As always, all these tweeters will be retweeted at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter, listed in the show notes. Show them some love. Speaking of love, I love you all for coming back week after week. I love talking to so many amazing people. These 75 episodes have been incredible. Thank you so much to Christine Blackburn for hanging with me on episode 75. Thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.